Warning, everything you're about to hear is real. During the recording of this podcast, our studio began to have its own unexplained occurrences. Is it the paranormal? We'll let you decide. When Alice Jackson built her dream house in 1990, immediately things weren't quite right. Doors would slam when no one had opened them. The doorbell would ring and no one would be there. Objects seemingly moved from where they had been left with no explanation. The paranormal activity continued throughout the years, but it was nothing that Alice couldn't handle. Until 2011. That's when Alice awoke during her sleep to a piercing bright light that was quickly followed by pitch black with dancing red dots of light. That was something Alice had never experienced before. Alice sought out paranormal investigators to try and determine what was happening in her house. Ten years later, the investigation is still going on. Hi, I'm Heather Grayson, writer, producer, and director who craves passion in filmmaking, and documentarians are just that. I write fiction, but I love to watch the truth. My name is B.C. Wayman. I'm an actor, a writer, an entertainer, all sorts of creative endeavors. But what I love most? Being a storyteller. It's why I love documentaries. They're extraordinary stories from everyday, extraordinary people. This is Behind the Dock, and today we are behind the scenes with The House in Between. At 11.30, and I was probably in bed by 12 o'clock, and it was pitch black dark in here. And a light came on, and I opened my eyes, and uh, there was this, it was light, it was a patch of uh, tunnel of daylight from the ceiling to the floor and it was daylight in this tube of light and it was pitch black in the rest of the room. I just stared at it. After about 10 seconds it just went blink, it went out. I just covered up my head then I pulled back the covers and I saw there were like real bright red buttons of light. I had a flashlight on the bed, and I shined the flashlight all around the room, and uh, there was nothing unusual. But I really did feel watched. I felt a presence. I felt observed. I didn't know if it was a religious experience. I didn't know if it was a UFO experience. I didn't know what it was. It scared me to death. That was a turning point in my life because I decided that I would not stay here by myself at night. Welcome, everyone, to Behind the Dock, where we take a deep dive into documentary filmmaking and the people that make them. Heather and I, we watch a lot of documentaries, you know that, and very few of them elicit the kind of conversations that we had prior to today's show. Let's break the fourth wall. We meet, we share stories about the film we watched, and today was full of spooky ghost stories. And that is because Heather and I, we just watched The House in Between, and we are very excited to have director Steve Gonsalves along with co-director Kendall Welpton. Welcome, gentlemen. How are you doing today? Oh, thank hey. you. Yeah, doing well, good. Well. Excellent. Well, let's get started. We'll start with you, Steve. Let's just get there. This is a, a movie. It is documenting, documenting a, uh, a real-life haunting of a house and you have Steve you've been on ghost hunters for many years you have seen thousands literally of paranormal occurrences why after all these years make a documentary about one particular location there are a lot of reasons actually the first just being the fact that 
I had never heard of a study, a controlled study, lasting 10 years of a, you know, paranormal phenomena, especially in a, a private residence. You know, that just doesn't happen. But uh, this house was just open to investigators, as you see in the film, John and, and Brad. There's something there that lets you know it's there. This house, it's really grabbed me. It's got its hooks synced into me. There's a lot of things that happen in this house that we can't explain. For 10 years, you know, and they studied it and, and collected data. And I saw, you know, a, a woman, uh, Alice, of course, who is one of the, the nicest people, uh, honestly, that you'll, you'll ever meet. And so once I got there, I did see some things and, and you have a few experiences where I said, oh, this, this you know, could be a revisit. And, and just meeting them, uh, you can't help but, but fall in love with them, on, honestly. So I saw the, you know, the opportunity to help somebody legitimately through this process, getting some real answers, but also to tell a different type of paranormal story, one that hadn't been told to a large audience before. And that is, you know, the stigma that people deal with who are living with a haunting, how the town looks at them, how people perceive it. I never mentioned to hardly anybody in this town about the paranormal activity in my house because I wasn't sure how they would take it. It's, a, it's, a, it's in the Bible Belt, and, you know, I, you know, I just I didn't know how they would take it. And what they really go through, you know, it's not just, hey, I have a haunted house, this is awesome, come check it out, and it's all smiles and, and super fun like you see, you know, in the TV shows and that sort of thing. It's a very real thing, and, and this was a, a woman in crisis. Yeah, we met Alice in the film, and she is very much a person who, she's a believer. She's definitely, and in, in living in a house for as long as she has and seeing all these things, I bet she would be. But she's truly a believer. She is looking for help. Why didn't she just sell the house? That's a, a great question. The first reason is, you know, it is her house that, that she built, the house that she dreamt about, and, and she really did build it thinking that, you know, she was going to raise a family and that sort of thing, and that that quickly crumbled. And I think, you know, she held on to it in the hopes that, hey, I can get back into that house. But then she said something to me where she said, you know, I'm afraid that if I sell the house, I'll never get the answers. You know, for as long as I have the house, I know that I can have people study it. I can maybe get to an answer. The reason I still have my house and I haven't sold it is because I really believe it has a purpose. I think, you know, opening it up to people is the way that something will be found. If I sold it, somebody else may not be open to that. And Kendall, you've been with Steve almost since the beginning, I believe, right? Since 2004, filming these paranormal investigations. When Steve comes to you and says, we're going to do something a little different, what is the process like? filming, say, a, a documentary over this course of time than filming maybe an episodic series? What's the biggest difference on your end on that technical side as you begin to prepare to put together a film like this? We had talked a little bit about, about the house, and right away I started realizing that the claims there were very unique and, and uh, different, and I started getting excited. And Steve and I threw a bunch of ideas back and forth on, on um, you know, what what we kind of envisioned for a documentary and kind of doing things different. The whole approach to the documentary was to do something different than had that had been done in the past in paranormal. So we really wanted to approach it with a different lens. And we literally took that all the way with cameras and, 
and lenses and you know just everything we did was was different than you would shoot a say a documentary style tv show for us it was a whole new palette i mean just to be able to 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 have a budget to kind of put your ideas right in front of you and and be able to follow through with a project from point a to all the way to z and kind of put those creative ideas that we've always had into play. How many cameras, or you talk about lenses, how many cameras do you think you had going in that house? Because there seems to be a lot of them. Besides just you filming the still cameras, how many do you think you had for that shoot? Well, we shot primarily with the red cam, and then our B camera was a, a, a smaller A7 Sony. We had three GoPros, we had, uh, and then all the house cameras, I think we have like seven or eight DVR house cameras that are running 24-7. Every second of the, the day, there was a camera rolling in the house just in case some kind of paranormal activity happened. Do you believe in ghosts? Believe in what? <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> and we had talked a little bit earlier about how uh, Alice had dealt with maybe the outside community, and you see some reservations. She didn't tell people for a while, and then finally this new story comes out, and that's when it becomes a little more common knowledge. How was it as you sat down and began to interview some of the town folks, some of the people living in the community who have been around it? Some seem skeptical. Some seem apprehensive. Did you have a difficulty getting people to speak on camera about that? Were they pretty forthcoming? What was that process like finding people who lived in Alice's neighborhood or in her community? Because as a couple residents said, it's a small town. Everyone knows everyone there, and everyone knows their their business, so to speak. So were they excited to talk about it? Did they not want the attention? What was that like reaching out to that community about this story? It was difficult, to be honest with you. We, When it was dealing with people that Alice knew, you know, they were very open and honest. But getting in into the town itself was a little more difficult. You see Mary Alice Heydrich, she's literally, you know, the town historian and, and official records keeper. So she was amazing to deal with and very gracious. And there was a, a facade there, you know, where the, the, the political people in the town would, would massage us a bit. We got hustled by the electrician. Uh, he was <laughs> uh, a little bit of a, a tough. I'm not seeing anything out of the ordinary. I, would, I mean, I would have liked to have seen it doing what, it, what y'all said it did, though. That would be interesting to me. I think the electrical's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. I think you, you're looking at something else. You know, it was really difficult was the science community. And the, uh, yeah. you know, it took me, I spent a lot of time in, in the pre-production of the film. And, and in that year, I must have talked to 40 physicists uh, to find one that would talk to me on camera about the paranormal. Luckily, you know, he happened to be at Jackson State University, pretty close by. And uh, his expertise was exactly what we needed answers in. So it worked out pretty good. But through that process, I got a lot of great information, you know, for Alice and, and for what we were doing off camera. They just wouldn't be on camera. You know, they were very difficult in that regard. And same with geologists. We tried really hard to get some geologists on camera. No geologists wanted anything to do with it. They'd almost hang up on you. What's this for? Go, what? Prank calling, prank calling, get out of here. <laughs> we got made fun of, literally got made fun of. We had a geologist make fun of us. It was it First was of pretty, all, how's a geologist? He's a guy that looks at rocks all day. He doesn't have a lot of room to talk. Let's be honest. You're looking for ghosts. He's staring at the ground. Let's, you know, tomato, tomato there. I thought, Steve and Kendall, that was one of Heather and I's favorite parts is the different approach, I think, to the paranormal investigations. Almost that you tried 
I don't want to say to debunk it, but you try to prove scientifically every avenue and having those scientists in there who were clearly not not believers, I would say, who were mm-hmm. like eh, on the fence. I found that to be intriguing. It was not like a fluff piece. Like everyone believed in it. So by presenting that, by having a little bit of naysayers and some scientific evidence and you yourself trying to explain it scientifically, you and the crew, was an amazing touch to it that I thought really added. Was that a, an effort on your part to say, let's do this? Is that something that has changed and grown in you as you've been doing this for almost 16 years now? Well, you know, that, that's a good question. It wasn't part of the original conceptualization because you don't go in saying, People are going to tell us they don't believe in this stuff and, and you know, you just don't know that. But when they were saying that, you have all these different people saying, look, even the historian says, you guys go run around in abandoned houses at night. I'll be asleep. They don't believe in this stuff. But it was important to me to make sure that that stayed in the film because that shows that we're dealing with unbiased people here. There is no sway. Disproving things, it's what I as an investigator and most of the investigators I work with, what we try to do. You don't want to fool yourself. You're not doing a service to anybody if you're misinterpreting what you're experiencing or if they're misinterpreting what they're experiencing. It needs to be right up and and be what it is. When water underground, uh, the earth cannot create any charge. Maybe because of lighting something from nature, it can be charged, but they cannot create new charge. So this is a law. That's what makes this doc unique and different than some of the other stuff that people have seen out there because I don't know if anybody's ever gone in and just documented a haunted house, like without a format, without a, you know, a, a preconceived, like, oh, this place is haunted. Like we kind of went in with the open-mindedness of, well, what if this place isn't haunted? We're going to tell that story. We went in with the plans to document everything and kind of, see what the story is along the way. And it turned into this really great feel, this this format of of just kind of following each lead. And then we'd go and try to try to see with a science with si- what science has to say about this or what this person has to say about this or what this device has to say about this. And we really tried to try to keep it an even playing field for the skeptic and the believer. It was very important for us to tell both sides. That was kind of our goal in the, the film itself. I absolutely agree with that. Actually, in our little our little family here at Behind the Dock, we have some believers and we have some skeptics. And so I, I think that for this case of the of the documentary and this just how you told the story, um did something just happen? Are you still there, Kendall? Hello? Stand by real quick. Copy. Okay. Hello? I think we lost him. I think so. If you guys can hear us, we're having a slight Let's tech issue. Pop One back second. On. Is there was there a power surge? Yeah, it was like boom. It did sound yeah in yeah. my headphones. Once again, Kendall, Steve, you can hear oh. us. Just hang on. It did sound like a whoop, and then it got silent. Heather called it like right away. You so could tell there was a vacuum again. in our headsets. Like you could tell everyone disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> sure is. Uh, Steve and Kendall, can you guys hear us? They're everywhere. There's a slight buzz when he's on, and that you can hear. Uh oh. 
if you guys can hear us keep standing by, something interesting has happened on our end. We're talking about ghosts, man. <laughs> BC, come on. And uh-huh. we're in Lakewood. This is an old building. That was actually going to be my life. freaking question. Yeah. That's what's making me so mad. <laughs> like, you had everything stacked up against you. This is a brand new building. Well, oh, that's true. It was a newer house yeah. on old land. It was, it was a brand new house. She built it. Oh, we got something. I keep getting, like, static. I keep getting shocked a little bit. Not kidding. Well, that, if you're getting shocked repeatedly, that would be a potential electrical issue. There shouldn't be a charge coming through your headphones. There's a very, very low amperage that runs through them, but a very, very tiny. Like, you should not be able to feel that. What is happening? Some weird things happening right now. <laughs> what? Okay, this has never happened. Get the ghost this is on. crazy. I just got I just got the thing again, BZ. There's something through your head. That should not be uh happening. Like you should not be having uh like shocks. It's not it's not it's like static. It's not it's like Did it happen it happened though right as you said it that there was like I heard in my headset yeah. in mine and I don't there I'm not go. Oh I'm gonna hang up here. Oh yeah. Okay. There's Kendall. Hey. One. Kendall's hey. back. Hey. I can't. Hey, oh, there's Steve. I got both. All right. This has been weird, and I'm not even joking. <laughs> I think it's Gremlins. Uh, it does. It looks like it like, never happens. I was telling her, it never happens. <laughs> we get a yeah. movie about the paranormal on, and we are getting weird things and weird static charges in our room. Like, this is weird, and it's not even <laughs> It's a very coincidental thing. And uh, guess what, guys? BC is the skeptic. Oh, so I'm just letting you know. Sorry. I'm I'm always willing to listen, but I am probably the most skeptical of the four of us here. That's good. In this room. The rest of them shared stories, and I just uh, was like, mm, we'll see. We're going to get to that, though. We'll get to that in a second. We're all good, so are you guys good? can awesome. jump back in. All right, Heather, you remember where you were? We're going to let Heather. We're going to kick right in and just keep going. <clears throat> Mad Magazine. Advertising mascots. B-movie posters. And cartoons. Oh, yeah, can't forget cartoons. If you get the funky connection that ties these pop culture gems together, you'll dig two designers walk into a bar. See, we're a couple of creatively curious pals living between the bookends of grand museums and dive bars. Hey, you know the place, the sweet spot where highbrow and lowbrow become drinking buddies. So join our barroom chats as we talk influential work, and uncover stories of how the familiar became iconic. Think behind the music for the stuff we love. Check out our website at twodesignerswalkintoabar.com. And listen wherever you get your podcasts or visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Okay, so what I was saying is out of our little family here, we are uh, we have some skeptics and we have some believers. And what I wanted to really know, I, I liked how you guys in the documentary made that abundantly clear that we're we're looking for both sides. One of the things that we were looking at, was there any one of you or the other two, had they stayed in Alice's bedroom and slept in her bed to see those lights? Yeah, I actually offered to spend the night one night I stayed there trying to document it. I was going to absolutely try to capture the lights. And I stayed there all night long by myself. I did end up sleeping a few hours in the back bedroom back there where she had her experience. And uh, yeah, I slept really, really pretty sound, really good back there. Over the years, I've experienced one thing with lights. 
As I was upstairs in the bedroom at the Mississippi house with the door closed, we were doing an EVP session. It was me and one fellow investigator. And the bottom frame of the door turned bright white. And it was almost like a camera shutter, two to three flashes of white. I sat there kind of in awe for a few minutes. It was not raining, there was no thunder, the night was clear. I opened the door and it never happened again. This is a brand new house. So it's not as though it was a house that's been standing there for 200 years. It's a brand new house that she built, that Alice built. And that's sort of how Poltergeist was, but it was built on something that it shouldn't be built on. And in the documentary, you guys are going to people and you're looking at, was there a cemetery there? Was there something that had happened? It happened again. <laughs> Did you get shocked again? Yes. Why are you getting shocked I don't, when I, that it's, happens? It's not I shocking. It's like, it's yeah. like static. And it, make, it make, gives me goosebumps and it makes my head hurt. I not be feeling that surge. I, I'm oh, telling no. you. Unless it's you. Unless you are like putting off some weird electrical charge shit that's like shorting I'm us out. I'm sorry if I am electrical, but that is just me. That is bizarre. It's bizarre that you feel it. Like, I can hear it, but you feel it every time. Mm-hmm. That's weird. I, I felt it whenever I put my headphones on. What is going on? <laughs> and it's every time I talk. I don't know. The poltergeist thing, poltergeist right? Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Oh, hello. I don't know what's going on, man. It's a weird. <laughs> Heather can like feel these surges through her body. I don't. This is. It's a weird day. This is going. This is going as weird as hello. expected. Welcome back again, Steve. Thank you for being yes, patient thank with us. You. We are having things that have never happened before. I was just telling Kendall. Heather can like feel these surges every time you guys. It cuts out. She's like, I got shocked again. So I don't know what's going on. We're we're, we're trying to like problem solve on RN2. Our producer's like, do you have things plugged in? What do you guys have a hot plate back here? Like, yeah. What is happening? I don't know what is happening. I apologize. Thank you for being patient with us. No problem. I, I imagine this happens quite often. She's the one in that your line of work. Shock. <laughs> oh, we lose cameras all the time. That's it's so strange. So we're going to try theory because Heather feels every time she asks a question, it cuts off. So whoever yeah. there. So I'm making BC ask you all the <laughs> questions now. There's an interesting parallel between the Poltergeist film and Alice's house. The fact that it's a new house, which seemingly may have been built on some previous tombstones or graveyards. Is that a pretty, in some houses, is that a common occurrence? How odd was it to you as someone, Steve, who was a fan of Poltergeist and had worked with people who researched it to be like, this is a similar instance of a newer bill on top of potentially relocated graves. It's very similar in ilk to Poltergeist. Was that something you were aware of while you were filming, and is that a common thing? This is a picture of the Florence Cemetery. Right, yep. This part that's clear, that is the original part of the cemetery. All this here? All of this. Okay, okay. When the town burned, all of the records were burned. And there is not any records anywhere on that part of it. I see. Do you think where Miss Alice's house is that perhaps there could have been something like that before record keeping, like before it all burnt? It could be, but if it is, I don't think there's any record of that. So if there was a grave of some sort or a burial where Miss Alice lives now, it would have to have been before the fire. Right. 
There have been some terrible things that have happened in, in that you know, backyard there, and we may explore that someday a little more in depth. We see that there are not only people, but objects that kind of are trying to prove what is happening. One is the little girl who has now grown up next door, Erin, and her experiences with trying to go into the divide or the oaks the oaks, and the other dimension, we heard a lot. And we see her reaction to a certain spot. We hear her history. But then we see a baseball that ends up some things that normally baseballs don't. So what was it that, you know, you saw these things and, I mean, these are big, these are big indicators for not only you but the audience. And how is it that the baseball, because I did see a couple times that it was a different baseball, is that is that sort of how you wanted to switch it up? And how was Aaron at the end of this? Yeah, so so for, for the baseball, those guys throughout their investigations at the house, they do switch things up. They'll put trigger objects along the stairs, all over the house, really. We use a lot of trigger objects inside the house. We started putting uh, a baseball or two baseballs on the staircase in the Mississippi house. And for a while, we set them up there, and obviously we try to communicate to the spirits that we wanted them to move the baseball, to roll it down the stairs. We want nothing more than to hear the baseball bounce down those stairs and hit the floor. That baseball sat idle for days. But then one day just decided to up and move and fall down the steps by itself. That's one way they check for to see if anything's happened at the house. They they go back into the footage the next day and see if, you know, a trigger object has, has moved. If nobody's at the house or has been to the house in a while, they'll they'll see those trigger objects and see if, you know, anything's been manipulated with them. So as far as Aaron, Aaron, Aaron was a very interesting story because I've always watched these uh, shows and in, in, in some of these documentaries and, and asked, well, what about the neighbor? You know, what about the, the person? What's happening around this one, one location? I've lived in this house next door um, since I was about five years old. And ever since I've lived here, I've always thought there was something different about next door, even as a child. I, I would walk over there sometimes, and one day I was over there and I just had a strong feeling of, oh, there's something, something different. And uh, I was probably six or seven years old, and I was just convinced that there was somebody buried in the backyard. And um, I, I told my parents for years, that there is somebody buried in that backyard. It just fell into our lap that uh, that Erin next door was a bit sensitive growing up. She actually had found some old Civil War uh, burial mounds when she was a kid, and she had that kind of sense to her. And she, growing up next to Alice's house, she always had some feelings in, in those spots in the backyard. And as far as the the dimensional thing, I mean, that is one of the theories, is that, you know, ghosts could be, these things could actually not be deceased people, that they, they there's a possibility that there could be something dipping into it from a di- another dimension, showing itself with intelligence or, or whatnot. And and for the documentary, we wanted to kind of address and, and visit every kind of possibility, because there really is no no rule book to, to the paranormal. I, I mean, uh, you know, it, 
there's good indicators. Steve's an expert at sniffing those out. And, you know, we kind of went and, 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 and good for Steve for going outside, you know, the box on some of this stuff and, and visiting, you know, multi-dimension and, and some of these other things that are a possibility. And I think a great way, Steve and Kendall specifically, you guys established this, was some amazing drone shots. That footage really helped encapsulate the town and show me where we're talking about. And I read, Kendall, that you are basically a self-taught drone camera person. Yeah. Can you just, like, talk a little bit about that and what drone filming, because we like to talk to young filmmakers or experienced filmmakers and try and give them tips and clues, too. What has that been like, teaching yourself to fly the drone? Do you feel that's been a huge part as we move forward? Because it was beautiful footage. It really gave me a sense of the town. It painted this picture of where everyone lived and the graveyards. I really appreciate it. And it was crystal clear too. It was beautifully shot, by the way. Your film looks amazing. So how has that drone footage as you've gone forward been instrumental in some of the work you've done? Awesome. Thank you. Uh, yeah, drone is a, is a pretty view, another angle. It's the big wide. It's You can tell an amazing story, like you said, within just the huge frame that you can get in some of the moves. I've been drone hopping and flying drones for about seven years now. It's been an amazing tool for storytelling. Those big drone shots, if I were to, to give anybody a, a tip, it's you want to fly when the light is good. So, you know, that golden hour, that magic hour, you want to utilize that. And, and that's when I do a lot of my... My flying is when the shadows are dramatic. The trees are casting shadows on the land and, and doing things that, that kind of create a uniqueness about it. I also like flying in, in bad weather. You know, we, we tell a story about a, a town that, that has a lot of history. Uh, of course, I'm going to try to get out right before that rainstorm and show the dark clouds, you know. Can I add something onto that, Kendall? Um, yeah, of course. And this may be a, a bold statement. I know you would never admit to it, but you may be one of the first, if not the first person to fly drone for television and that sort of thing. Because uh, I remember back in you know, the early days of Ghost Hunters, it, when drones f literally first pop on the scene, you know, ones that you could buy, you said, I'm going to put a camera on that thing. <laughs> and uh, you did. And I remember you had to get permission from the production company to really you know, sort of hone that skill and, and uh, see if they would include it into the, you know, into the, the show, that sort of thing. But you were doing it back then before it was a, a, sh a sanctioned thing. You were just like guerrilla style, put a camera on it, let's hope it works. If you were doing it, Kendall, back in 04, 05, in those early days of Ghost Hunters, that was definitely ahead of the curve. So that's awesome, especially since you kind of taught and then built your own drones yourself. Thanks, man. I would be remiss before we let you go. Kendall, I have a question yes. for you. Yeah. Which is scarier, filming potentially haunted house or filming people catching fish bigger than the size of your body? Because <laughs> I feel like I'd be more scared with the fish on the boat than I would be in the house. Maybe I'm wrong, but that also looks super frightening. I know you, you work on battlefish and wicked tuna. Yeah, it's, it's the fish for sure. <laughs> You're not going to get tossed out in the ocean in, in a haunted house.
And then, uh, Steve, which traumatized you more, seeing your first ghost or banging the skins for perpetual doom uh, some 26 years ago? <laughs> the, I listened to uh, two of your EPs yesterday. That was, um, oh, man. that was pretty intense. What was that like? You gone from a drummer back in the mid-90s to ghost hunting. Did that prepare you? Luckily, being into that kind of music, you're already into ghosts and, and the macabre and the strange. So I had a good foundation for it, <laughs> for sure. But yeah, I've been a drummer my whole life. Metal, blues, uh, all that stuff, funk, whatever you want, I'm, I'm there. And then finally, where, where do you got to go? What's the place? What's your, um, what's the word I'm looking for, right? What's your holy grail? What haunted place have you your not white been to whale. yet? Yeah, your white whale. Where do you want to go film next? What's your white whale you're chasing? Whew. I mean, uh, it's very cliche to say, but like most investigators, I think getting into the Amityville house would be. Uh, pretty fascinating, uh, just because most of the people in the field don't really believe in what uh, you know is happening there too much. So it'd be nice to sort of put that to rest. That or the Colosseum, I think, would be pretty awesome. Oh, you know, yeah. 400,000 deaths in just a few years is pretty intense. To talk about lasting impressions, Amityville Horror, when I was a child, like a younger child, probably like 10 or 11, watching that movie and there's a spot where the young boy gets his fingers crushed in the windowsill from a window oh. like that since that moment and I am now 45 years old I will not put my fingers in a windowsill like so that's the <laughs> lasting impression it is a fear an unknown fear of mine just one of those things that can make a lasting impression and I'm never going to look you know like at a baseball the same now after watching the house in between Steve, Kendall, thank you very much for joining us on Behind the Dock. It was a great talk. If you're back in Ohio, I don't know if I believe you, but give us a ring because we'll go on a ghost hunt. I've never been on one. feel like I'm a scaredy cat, though, also. So <laughs> both skeptic and scaredy cat at the same time, I don't know if that works. Awesome. But I really appreciate you having on and explaining to us a lot about the movie. It was great to watch. It was a great to see the scientific angle of it. I think it's unique. We definitely recommend everyone go check out The House in Between. Thank you very much. Heather, your final words? And we'll uh, Yes. Sign Thank you guys so much, Steve. Kendall, it was it was really a pleasure to not only talk to you, but watch this, watch this film. I'm a believer for sure. I was definitely like, ooh, okay, tell me more. <laughs> like, I was definitely, you know, that person. And, you know, as far as ghost hunting, goes. It seems so fascinating. It would just be something so fun. As a filmmaker myself, it would just be just an absolute joy. Thank you guys so much. Thank you for talking to us, and I, I wish you well. Thank you. Thanks for having us. It's been very nice. All right, so I was inside, and I was running around. I'm trying to get this gear sent out because we have gear shipping out today. Got the camera. I'm messing with that, and I'm just going inside of that house. And nobody was right here at all. Nobody was in the house. It was just me. Uh, and I'm walking by and all of a sudden I hear this ball falling, falling down the stairs. And there it is. We're checking if we have it on camera right now. There's the ball. And it came from up there. I like it, but uh, the fact that there's people in the house moving around, okay. all that stuff, yeah. just kind of makes me... I, I was the only one in the house. Yeah, it's true. You know what I mean? And I, yeah, I, yeah, I promise, outside. dude, like, I, this whole thing's about honesty. Yeah. Like, I'm honest with you guys. I was walking with the ball as it was. Well, we just saw go, I heard a noise and I looked over and it was like, dunk, 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 dunk. Thanks for listening to this episode of Behind the Dock. If you liked us, because we all know you did, leave us a review in your Apple Podcast app. 
Behind the Dock is produced by Evergreen Podcast in association with Gravitas Ventures. Special thanks to executive producers Nolan Gallagher and Michael D'Aloya. Produced by Sarah Wilgroup and audio engineer Eric Coltmau. And you'll find us everywhere and anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. Hi, this is comedian and writer, and let's be honest, I do a lot of things. This is Dean Archipotis, the host of Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag, but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get whatever. You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. Yeah, Yeah. right? And, yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? (laughs) The Bigfoot thing is people have seen these, and and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Chapotas. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good pour. You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.